Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 7, verses 24 through 28. Uh, Before I read our passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you again this morning in the name of Christ. We come to sit at the feet of the evangelist Luke. And we thank you, dear Lord, that you gave your word unto him infallibly by your Holy Spirit, that you have preserved this word infallibly for our infallible instruction. We ask your Lord today that you would give us the same Holy Spirit, uh, that he might dwell within our hearts, that he might prepare our hearts, uh, that we might receive this word uh, to, uh, to the mercy intended by it, that we would be taught and corrected and reproved by it, instructed in righteousness. We ask that we would be given eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand the glory of Christ Jesus and his gospel, that we might bear the fruit of repentance from sin, faith in Jesus Christ, and obedience to your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word, uh, given by, in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 7, verses 24 through 28. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled, and live delicately, are in king's courts. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. For I say unto you, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Amen. We had seen in the, the previous week how uh, the, the works of Jesus Christ, the miracles that he did, particularly, uh, at least as, as John uh, Luke would have us uh, read it, the uh, resurrection of the widow's son in Nyan has gotten around about to John the Baptist's disciples and they bring the report to John the Baptist who is at this time in prison. Uh, he is in prison, if you recall, uh, because he has refused uh, to hold his tongue and preached against Herod, the Tetrarch, uh, that he had taken his brother's wife, Herodias, uh, as to for himself, and this was wickedness. This was against the law of God. Uh, this was adultery, and uh, even according to the law of God, this was incest. And John the Baptist preached against it because he was preaching the word of God and would not hold his tongue and would not uh, moderate uh, his voice to those that were in power. And of course, John the Baptist having heard this and uh, hearing the, the works of mercy that Jesus Christ has done, uh, sent, unto, uh, sent two of his disciples unto Jesus to inquire whether he was the one to come or whether they were to expect another. 
Not so much because he doubted, because if he doubted, he would not acquire to Jesus Christ himself, but would have inquired unto God. Uh, but because uh, either A, to instruct his own disciples, or because he was seeing the grace of God, but was also wondering where the justice of God was. Uh, we read together what Jesus Christ, uh, we just heard, quoted at least the first part of, from Malachi chapter 1, verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, that the Lord would send the messenger before him, before he brought judgment and grace and deliverance. But the two were to come together. Uh, when uh, John the Baptist preached, he bre- preached the, the baptism of repentance. That is, repentance, re- that God would hear our, our sorrow over sin and, and allow us to change and draw him unto himself in grace and mercy. But also he warned them, the generation of vipers, that the axe was at the tree trunk, that God would bring judgment upon wickedness and hypocrisy. And so it is perhaps that John the Baptist is wondering, as he sees the writing on the wall, as it were, his own ministry close out, what sort of Messiah was Christ? Was he one of two? Are, are, were there more to come? And Jesus sends them away with the message, most likely primarily designed to uh, fortify the faith of John's disciples. Uh, but after they are gone, Jesus turning to the crowds there, that they might not think less of John or misunderstand the, the nature of the question, he speaks of John and elevates John. He uh, says good words about John, and they are important words, and they are important for the ministry of the gospel going forward. John the Baptist was highly revered, not in a, uh, uh, well, he did become highly revered, sometimes in an idolatrous way, but, but he was highly respected and honored as he ought to have been in the early church, and primarily uh, because Jesus here uh, puts him in the context of God's work of grace and mercy. So what did men seek in John the Baptist? Why was he great? Jesus asked this with a series of rhetorical questions. He asked the people there, assuming that they went, and most likely they did. These were the common people of Galilee. uh, John the Baptist had great uh, uh, following in Galilee. Uh, remember Jesus' own disciples, at least the first four called, the fishermen, uh, Peter and, uh, well, Simon Peter and Andrew, James and John, were all disciples first of John the Baptist before they were of Jesus Christ. Philip also and Nathan. And he asked them, as the crowds gathered there, what were you out to see? And he gives a couple of rhetorical questions. Did you go out to see a reed shaken in the wind? Certainly not. Certainly you're not going to make the hard journey into the wilderness for such an ordinary sight as that. Certainly you could see reeds shaken in the wind in your own towns of Galilee. And this is true whether we take it literally or certainly as Christ meant it. Uh, He was not one that was there that was just a man going along with the times. That was riding the wave of faddishness who was picking up on the zeitgeist, if you will, the spirit of the age, and and giving the people what they wanted to hear. That's not why you went into the wilderness, to go hear John the Baptist. 
It wasn't a man dressed in, as uh, the King James translates it, gorgeous apparel. In robes of wealth and state. And the togas trimmed with purple of high office in Roman uh, government. Uh, You didn't go somewhere uh, out to see a man dressed in the uh, gaudiness, we would say, of eastern satraps. Those reside in the courts of king's castles. And where was John? Not in the court of a king's castle, but in the dungeon of the same. They didn't go out to see a man that sought the reward and the acclaim of powerful men. They went out to hear the word of the Lord from his own prophet. What went you out to see, a prophet? Yea, and I say unto you much more than a prophet. John the Baptist was not a man that was riding the ways of popularity. He was popular. And we ought not to forget that. That there was a work of grace to be done. Sometimes we're we set ourselves against the world and we are we underline the powerfulness and deceptiveness of sin to such an extent that we forget also that the grace of God really does work. That there really are people that are claimed by the grace of God and the sheep are brought in. We don't have to have an overly negative uh, view of mankind in the face of the grace of God. That God's work wasn't to no purpose. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the lost cause, if you will. It wasn't the long defeat, if you will. It was really a truly a new thing and a new light. But it wasn't the world. And its popularity such that it was didn't come from the world. It wasn't giving the new way to make peace with the oppressors of the Roman Empire, nor was it the way that might also have been equally as popular, if not more so, the way to resist the oppressors of the Roman Empire. It wasn't the way of of getting in good with the, the powers that be. People didn't go uh, to, to, to be uh, patted on the back by their political betters, by their financial betters, or by their religious betters. Even the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, when they considered John the Baptist, they at best held their peace. They thought it was, well, that was a good thing for the masses, the hoya polloi, the, the riffraff, to go get a little bit of fundamentalist religion from John the Baptist, and we could stay here with the with our Uriadite uh, contemplations. Because when they did go out, John pointed to them and warned them, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, you nest of vipers? When they did come, he didn't seek their favor. He didn't seek their compliance. He had already the favor of God. It was for them to come and repent Not to follow John, but follow God that John followed. And it's obvious that this is what John was. I mean, the whole rhetorical questions of Jesus Christ meant that this would be uh, received as, oh, well, yes, of course. 
When we went out there, it wasn't for entertainment. We were led out there. Perhaps we didn't know exactly why. Perhaps we went there because our neighbors were going out to see John the Baptist. Perhaps we were drawn, we know not why. Perhaps we were drawn to make fun. But when we got there, we saw a prophet. We heard the voice, not of a man, but the voice of God in a man. And Jesus tells them that it was much more than a prophet. That he was a harbinger of God. Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, verse 26, verse 27, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. The one who is the harbinger. In the section of Malachi, it's not so much the Messiah, the one, the Son of Man that shall come in the flesh. It is the Lord God. Of course, that is coming. He is coming in the flesh, in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you look, and just a reminder of what we read earlier before, behold, I send my messenger, Malachi 3, 1, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide the day of his coming? And he gives that list of judgments that shall be. And, and he says... It lives up over verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not, and therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And he calls them to repentance. They had been robbing God. They had been going their way. And he reminds them uh, that, that he will come. Uh, that this is, this is not going to continue. And now are the days when it's not continuing. He is the only prophet, by the way, that was prophesied. That his ministry is, is of such importance that it was foretold. Elijah was not foretold. Elisha was not foretold. Isaiah was not foretold. Jonah was not foretold. Jeremiah was not foretold. Ezekiel not foretold. Hosea, Joel, etc., etc., not foretold. But John the Baptist was. John the Baptist was given for one to be a sign of something greater. He was given to be the sign that this whole looking forward aspect to the old covenant was going to come to the end. That the Lord would come into his temple and there would be a difference, uh, an enrichment, a fullness of the glory of God. Or his greatness lie in his preparing us for Jesus Christ. His greatness is ushering in Christ himself and his gospel. If you look, if you look in 1 Peter chapter 1, we see the importance of this and, and the significance of this. In verses 10 through 12, speaking of the prophets, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And however they searched or whatever, uh, they had to look forward to a time past their time. And John the Baptist is the only one that could ask the Christ himself. Unto whom was it revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, 
which things the angels themselves desired to look into. That's how important it was. And John the Baptist recognized this. John teaching his own disciples in John chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 28 through 30. Says you yourselves, after his disciples come to him, this perhaps before his imprisonment, at the initial popularity of Jesus Christ, John is saying, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which John makes himself, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, therefore, my joy is fulfilled. He must increase but I must decrease. And indeed, John exits the scene long before Christ completes that work that Christ came to do in his sacrifice and therefore reigns in heaven in judgment uh, through the resurrection. Uh, So this is that greater prophet. But Jesus doesn't just say that. He's the greater prophet because he enters, ushers in a stage of the kingdom of God in which the least in the kingdom of God, those that are the, the word is not a superlative in the Greek, it's a comparative. Those that are less than John in the kingdom of heaven are nevertheless greater than John in the kingdom of heaven. This is, this is the, the force of verse 28. For I say unto you, those that are born of women, uh, born of women there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So what is that greatness? Uh, How is it that now, and and this is part of his greatness that he ushered in this this now. How is it that now in the kingdom of God, the least are greater than John the Baptist? It's not greater in faithfulness and trust in the Lord. John the Baptist, when he, if he doubted at all, When he did so, he resolved his doubt not by searching elsewhere, but by searching Christ Jesus himself. He showed his faith. I don't understand what's going on. Are you the one coming or do we look for another? He didn't go to ask somebody else. He went to the Lord God. And we see Jesus' own testimony about him. He was not a reed shaken in the wind. He was not one that sought the approval and the reward and the riches of men. It isn't so much that John is is less than we are in his faithfulness and his trust in the Lord. This is a man that gave his life to the Lord. This is not the greatness that Jesus is speaking of. But we are more greatly enriched in the knowledge of the Lord. And this is something that we take for granted. We often read the Old Testament because in such a way uh, that we read with understanding that often perplexed those that did not know Jesus Christ. Even today, if you read commentaries, uh, particularly outside the household of faith, if you read, say, Jewish commentaries or sometimes academic commentaries that by their nature decide not to approach the Old Testament with the New Testament at hand. 
seek to understand what is being said in the, at the time of what's being said, you find that not one single commentator can agree on anything, and there's just a morass of conjecture and, and, and puzzlement. And you turn to even the, the most rustic of commentators from the Church of Christ, and they can bring light upon a passage. In fact, a lot of things that you and I read casually in the Old Testament with understanding because we know Christ Jesus who came and died and was raised again. We don't even think twice about a certain interpretation or a certain understanding of a revelation of the will of God because we know God in Christ Jesus is a huge advancement over the prophets that had glimpses and were inspired for the moment. Even David wrote these great psalms of even the crucifixion of Christ in Psalm 22. And yet, uh, what perplexity we find him in in his life. Even in his own psalms, the perplexity, he has this vision of greatness and yet must honestly write about groping and wondering what the Lord is doing. And they become models for us because even with the great uh, revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, we do find ourselves in muddy positions and in perplexity. But one of the differences is, and one of the great differences is, that John the Baptist looked to the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. He looked to the resurrection of Christ Jesus, perhaps not even understanding that there would be a crucifixion and resurrection. Understanding that this was the man of sorrows that would take upon himself sin, but how he knew not. That this was the man of sorrows that would be cut off without a seed, without offspring, and yet shall be raised to see his generation, to see his uh, inheritance, to see a, a vast... Uh, Nations under him. How is that? Isaiah 53 is contradictory without Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, it all falls gently down together. All the newness of the victories of Jesus Christ are proclaimed by even the least of the heralds of the gospel in a way with more power than John the Baptist could as the greatest of the prophets. Turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is not Paul commenting on this dialogue, but it could serve as a commentary. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us to us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead to be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
Now, John the Baptist preached of reconciliation through repentance, and that is still in the that is still the gospel today. Repent and believe in the gospel that is in Jesus Christ is the way of salvation today. But that repent and what you believe is so much fuller now. That we see as David had prophesied in Psalm 85, where justice and mercy come together and are reconciled. They make peace. They kiss. And literally in the Hebrew. That God can be just, not forgiving any sin. Not letting any sin go unpunished. And yet be merciful to sinners. How is that? There's a lamb that bore the sins of his people. That he who is innocent and is very God from all eternity took upon himself to be made sin for us. That we might be made righteous in him. So the New Testament heralds give full the victory of God in Christ. Give full the grace and the judgment of God in Jesus Christ in a way that John the Baptist had to look to, uh, had to be informed of, but could not see. This was the greatness of the ministry of John the Baptist. But what about today? Because we don't go out to the wilderness to hear John the Baptist preach. He has died. His head was chopped off. Uh, He uh, was uh, buried. And that was the death of John the Baptist. But what do you gather here to hear? Do you come to hear someone moved by the times uh, to, to uh, blow with the wind? Or do you come to hear someone with, with ambition uh, in the world uh, to be approved of of men? I hope not, and I hope that that's not my motive. You come to hear the Lord speak through the minister of his word. Now, whether that's done by the minister of his word or not, that is what you ought to be coming to hear. You ought not to be taking time out of your week together just to hear what the the latest fad is. You ought not to be giving this day that is to be holy unto the Lord to hear somebody seek the approval of men or of powerful people. This is why the qualifications of the ministry are what they are. That you have to be apt to teach. It's a true saying, 1 Timothy 3. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality and apt to teach, not given to wine, nor striker, nor guilt, guilt, greedy of filthy lucker, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. These are the things that make for someone who is sober and vigilant and serious about his work. You come to hear one who has a greater message than John. You come to hear the one that is beseeching you to be reconciled to the one who became sin for you, that you might be made righteous in Christ Jesus. 
That's what we do here. That's why we gather here. It's not for a lecture. It's for the word of God to be heard, to be proclaimed. You come to hear not a prophet, not even the greatest of prophets. You come to hear the herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, you all take heed to what you hear. We read earlier from 1 Peter that they were searching diligently, that the angels desired to search into them. And, and obviously, he's proclaiming it now. So we pick up where we left off in 1 Peter first, chapter 1, verse 13 through 21. Wherefore, now that the gospel is preached unto you, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call upon the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every, man, according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your vain conversation received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. You see, the power that Peter has, that he can go from just what, he, what all prophets did, behave, be holy, for the Lord God is holy, to the great power of holiness, the victory of Jesus Christ over death and the cross and over sin. We have to take heed that we hear with joy, that we come to hear, that we come to listen to what is said and to obey what is said. Not to obey your pastor as the pastor, but to obey the word of God as it is proclaimed from God. The humble justify God, declare God to be just in their obedience. We'll look at this next week more clearly. But uh, Jesus says, and, and this is the problem with red letters sometimes, uh, this is most likely the words of Jesus. And all the people that heard uh, and the publicans, they justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. The proud dismiss the word of God as not really necessary for them. There are those that will gather to hear the gospel proclaimed and will be like the scribes and the Pharisees being warned of John to scoff at the warning to scoff at them being called sinners. To scoff at it because we are not nearly as bad as, you know, that person over there or that person over there or my cousin back there. But God doesn't grade on the curve. His holiness is what is violated by our hearts. But he has given us the solution. He has given us the grace and the mercy in Jesus Christ who is the Lamb of God which took away the sins of the world and has been raised up, that we might have joy. And that is a greater message than any of the prophets of the Old Testament had. 
It is the fullness of their message. Not that they preach something different, but that they did not have the whole. That they were preparing. And now we have the fullness of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And we should rejoice. And we shall not take it for granted. And we should give ourselves to take heed to Christ Jesus. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask, dear Lord, that we would not be like reeds shaken in the wind, moved to and fro by every vain thought of men or every vain desire. Nor will we covet that which you have not given us and the vain riches of the world that cannot satisfy. But we ask that you would give us to stand firm upon your gospel and to look upon Jesus Christ, the rock on whom we are built. And we ask in his name that you would deliver us from sin and deliver us from the wicked one and deliver us into the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.